What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's good, my guy? What's popping? Dude, it's nice. My boy got a day off, so we're recording a little early. It's not late, so we're going to get some good shut-eye tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we are ecstatic whenever we can record this early. I promise you that. Oh, 100%. So, Kev, I know we got an action-packed weekend this upcoming weekend. I know we got the AFC NFC Champion games to go over. Now that the NFL offseason's kind of started for some teams, we'll dive into that. And we got a bunch more for you guys on the way. So, Kev, you ready to dive into this agenda? Yes, sir. So, as Kyle stated, the NFC and AFC championships are going to be rolling out on Sunday. We got the 49ers visiting the Eagles, and then we have the Bengals visiting the Chiefs. Both games are taking place at 3 and 6 o'clock, respectively. So, make sure you tune in. They're must-see games. Uh, and then, of course, like Kyle said, with the NFL offseason kind of beginning for a lot of different teams, Kyle and I are going to start a series. It's going to be NFL offseason changes. So we are going to go down the list of all 32 NFL teams as to what we believe personally that they need in order to make their next season a little bit better or to kind of go into the right direction of being a little bit more competitive. We're going to start with the teams that have been eliminated from the play, uh, the playoffs this season. So we're going to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Minnesota Vikings. So we're going to get into our, our, our personal opinions as to what each team needs to add in order to improve upon the season that they had this year. So again, like I said, we're going to have a chain there. So we're going to go down that list of the rest of the teams throughout the rest of the offseason as it progresses. And then, of course, we're going to flip it over to the NBA. We have some narratives and some stories that have been circulating over the last couple of days. The Portland Trailblazers came out and said that they are still... Uh, hell-bent on building around Damian Lillard despite them being 12th in the Western Conference, 22 and 25. They're just not looking good despite the roster that they currently have. It's kind of just a matter of should they kind of like pack up ship, trade off Dame? Should Dame request a trade? I mean, there's just so many different things that are going around. So you're kind of just confused as to why Portland continues to beat a dead horse, as it seems. And then in Washington, they traded... uh Hachimura to the Lakers this past week, which leaves an open roster spot in terms of for cap space for Kyle Kuzma. The team had expressed that they have interest in extending him long term to stay in Washington. Kyle and I are going to get into that a little bit as to why they would do that as opposed to focusing on some other key aspects of their roster. I mean, as good as Kyle Kuzma may be doing averaging 22 points a game this year, would you not want to trade him while his value is high as opposed to locking him down long term? We all know that they have plenty of ailing issues in other roster spots. So just a little confusing to Kyle and I, and we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. But outside of that, we got a super packed agenda to go over today. So we're going to just start it off hot, man. Kyle, we're going in the NFC. What do you got for me? Well, pretty simple, you guys. We got the NFC Championship game taking place uh, this Sunday afternoon. Like Kev had already said, the game's going to take place at 3 o'clock. Uh, the 49ers will be going on to road to uh, Philadelphia. Uh, to play the Eagles. And just to give you guys a quick rundown or a setup for this game to how we got to this point, uh, the 49ers last week in the divisional round defeated the Dallas Cowboys by the score of 19 to 12. It was a rather defensive game uh, from both teams, not really a high scoring game. It was kind of a little bit different than what Kevin and I had originally expected. But nonetheless, uh, 49ers defense stepped up. Brock Purdy didn't turn the ball over. Pretty much got the game-winning touchdown from Christian McCaffrey uh, in the fourth quarter uh, that sent the 49ers on their way to the NFC Championship game with a Super Bowl on the line to kick it to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles just smashed, beat the brakes off of the Giants last week 
in that divisional round game. That game was over by halftime. The Eagles won that game by the score of 38 to 7, and they easily walked into the NFC Championship game uh, this upcoming weekend, where they will be the home team. So we've got the number one seeded uh, Philadelphia Eagles going up against the number two seeded San Francisco 49ers. And Kev, I'm just super excited about this game. I mean, these are some of the best teams in the NFL. You've got some of the best defenses in the NFL as well in this game. And with the way that both quarterbacks have been playing pretty much the entire season, Brock didn't play the entire season, but ever since he's filled in for Jimmy G, he's been nothing short of phenomenal. This is going to be a great game as far as I see it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we've got the 49ers going to Philadelphia this weekend to play the number one seeded Eagles with a Super Bowl on the line. Who do you think is going to win this NFC Championship game and why? I got to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. This was a tough one for me to pick. I picked against them last week. Seeing what they were able to do to the Giants in that defense, I feel like they gained a little bit of momentum back from the struggles that they had a few weeks prior. I also believe that Jalen Hurts is going to be the key here solely because when it comes down to it, these teams are very similar. Good defenses, good quarterbacks, great receivers, good running backs, amazing tight ends, solid offensive lines. I mean, you name it. The 49ers and the Eagles have had their struggles as well. I mean, you talk about injuries as well. You kind of you lean toward Jalen Hurts. He was only hurt for a couple of games, but obviously we all know the 49ers started the season with Trey Lance being injured. Then Jimmy Garoppolo. They've had to have a quarterback step up and do what they needed to do in Brock Purdy, and he has been nothing short of damn near perfect, honestly. And then you talk about some injuries to the offensive line. Earlier this season, Trent Williams was hurt. Lane Johnson has been hurt. I mean, and then you're just going to continue to go down the list. But again, just for the sake of comparison... These teams are very, very, very similar. I think that the biggest struggle for Philadelphia is going to be stopping Christian McCaffrey. I mean, let's be honest, he is one of the more dynamic running backs in the NFL now that he is completely healthy. I believe that he suffered a calf injury in the divisional round, which is why he was limited this week in practice. I don't think him or Debo practiced today specifically. And again, it's Wednesday. We're recording a day early. So again, be mindful of what you keep up with as the injury report progresses as the week goes on. But it will be something to monitor to see how efficient he will be, as well as Elijah Mitchell, to see how they go up against that Philadelphia defense. Um, In terms of Jalen Hurts, I think he is going to be the X factor along with Dallas Goddard because we all know that A.J. Brown is going to demand a double team on his side of the field. Devontae Smith might see some single coverage. He may also get a double team or two. And it's going to be up to the middle of the field and Dallas Goddard to extend the field over the middle. It's going to be, can he get catches on third down? Can he move the chains? Can he block? Truthfully, honestly, Dallas Goddard might be the most important factor outside of the quarterback position. And the reason I'm picking the Eagles is because... Well, I think that Jalen Hurts, realistically, is a little bit better than Brock Purdy, honestly, with what he can do running the football, with how accurate he's been throwing the football as well. And again, the confidence that he gained by beating the Giants, I think that he is going to be the reason why they move on to the Super Bowl. Now, the 49ers are are, are no, no schmucks. They're no bums. But Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts, ironically enough, have the same amount of postseason starts in their careers. This will be their third game, each of them respectively. Jalen Hurts had one game last year and they lost, and then he played in the divisional round, and Brock Purdy played both of his games leading up to this one. So it's not going to be about the experience factor at the quarterback position. I think for the 49ers, they are going to have to rely on that pass rush. You know that Lane Johnson is injured. You're going to have to attack that right side of the field, uh, excuse me, the right side of the offensive line. You are going to need to move the chains, and again, we all know that the rushing defense of the Eagles is one of their weakest links. You're going to have to find a way 
to win at the line of scrimmage. Although the Eagles are the best pass rushing team in the NFL, we all know that they have a great rotation of guys. You're going to need to find a way to protect up front, give Brock Purdy his time, and of course create space for Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell to keep that ball moving forward. Um, Keep the ball out of Jalen's hands to keep this game competitive. But again, because of what Jalen is able to do with his arm and his legs, I think he's going to be the sole factor as to why the Philadelphia Eagles moved to their second Super Bowl in five years. Kev, I feel you on this one. This is a game that could honestly go either way. Um, Honestly, I think both teams have a really good path to the Super Bowl here. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to go to the opposite way from you. I am going to go with the 49ers. And I think it's simply just because I think the San Francisco 49ers defense is going to step up to slow down that Eagles offense when it's all said and done. And it's not going to be easy because let's face it, when the Eagles went up against the Giants last week, the Giants got smashed. They had no answer for that Eagles RPO last week. And the game was essentially over by halftime. That Giants defense had got absolutely slaughtered by giving up 28 points in the first half. Now, granted, they stepped up in the second half, but essentially that game was over. But this will be a much more difficult task for Philly's offense going up against San Francisco's defense. Because as far as I see it, the 49ers have the best defense in the NFL. And with what they were able to do against Dallas last week by limiting them to 12 points, that was quite impressive. Because going into that 49ers-Cowboys game last week, I was expecting a much higher score than what we got. And the fact that San Francisco's defense, outside of the one touchdown that they gave up early on in the game, they locked it down defensively. They only gave up two field goals uh, throughout the rest of the game from basically the second quarter on. And I think one of the things that they did very effectively was just get the the opposing team off the field in what they had against the Cowboys. And I think that's going to be a very similar mindset. The only difference is, is that the Eagles offense, they're just on another level right now. They scored 38 points last week. And that RPO, the run game, Jalen from the pocket or whenever he runs outside of the pocket when he passes the ball, they looked phenomenal last week. So it's going to be very difficult for the 49ers defense to step up and slow down that Eagles offense just because they're so versatile with all the options that they have. But I think they will be able to do that. And the one thing that they're going to have to do is they're going to have to establish a pass rush against Jalen. And also, I I do believe that that front seven is going to slow down that Philly run game that we saw that was so effective against the Giants last week. And I think that's going to be a key point of emphasis. If the 49ers defense could slow down that run attack, I think it gets them into a position where Jalen's going to have to pass the ball and maybe that pass that pass rush gets home. Maybe we see Nick Boza come up with a play where he forces a bad pass by Jalen Hurts, and that 49ers secondary can hop on a pass and, and intercept it. We saw that 49ers defense come up with two interceptions last week against Dak, and Jalen, even though that the Eagles have been a pretty good team and not turning the ball over this year, there have been times where the team has made some mistakes and they have turned the ball over. And I do believe that that 49ers defense can step up to the plate to make those changes or to make those errors as far as I could say, as far as I see it. Now, when it comes to Brock, obviously this is probably the biggest stage that he's ever played on in his NFL career. The lights are going to be bright. Can he step up to the plate to be able to make plays happen? I think that he will. Also, like Kevin already alluded to, I do believe this is a game where Kyle Shanahan in that offensive playbook is going to focus on running the ball effectively. So don't be surprised if we see Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell split probably somewhere between 20 to 25 carries. I think if they're able to establish that run game early against that Eagles defense, which is pretty stifling. 
Seven points against the Giants last week. That's a good performance. So 49ers offense is going to have their work cut out for them. But I think if they're able to establish that run game early and just get into a, a rhythm to where they can extend drives on third down and not settle for field goals, but to get touchdowns, I think that's going to work in their favor as a whole. But it's going to be a battle as far as I see it for both teams. You know, the QB matchup between Jalen and Brock, I think it's going to be a good one. These guys have played each other in the past in college when they were both in the Big 12, and they get to renew this rivalry as far as I see it. But I'm going to go with the kid. I'm going to go with Brock Purdy in this one. Last pick in the draft, Mr. Relevant. Like Kev said earlier, he is no longer Mr. Relevant as far as I see it with the way that he's played. He's been playing perfect since filling in for Jimmy G. And I think he is going to be the guy that's going to step uh, step to the challenge, make some plays, especially in critical situations late in the game. And I think he's going to do just enough to get some points on the board that are going to get the 49ers over the hump and get them to the Super Bowl as far as I see it. I think this is going to be a very close game. It's going to be a one-possession game when it's, when it's all said and done. I'm going to go with the 49ers by the score of 24-20. to 20. They would do just enough to get by the Eagles to advance to the Super Bowl. And look, when the when you look at the 49ers, the 49ers have been in this position multiple times for the last couple of years. They've either been in an NFC Championship scenario or they've made it to the Super Bowl. I think this is another case where they make it to a Super Bowl and then we'll see where it goes from there. But I think they slightly edge out the, the Eagles on the road and advance to Super Bowl 57. No matter what, both teams are set up for the future for success. I mean, a lot of these teams yeah. have a lot of young players. I mean, we're talking about Jalen and Brock are both in their 20s. Obviously, the running back committee is in their 20s. We're talking about the wide receivers also in their 20s. It's, it's crazy how this could be a future matchup for years to come in terms of going up head-to-head -head for the AFC and, excuse me, for the NFC. So I'm just looking forward to this matchup. Like I said, I'm really, really, really hoping that Philly can pull this off, especially for the sake of... Uh, of my girl's family, because I know that watching the game with them on Sunday is going to be absolutely madness. So, uh, but I do know we have another game coming up, and that's going to be the AFC matchup. So, Kyle, I'm kicking this one your way. My boy Joseph is going to his second consecutive AFC championship, ironically, his second consecutive against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs as well. However, the looming narrative is will Patrick be healthy enough to perform at a good enough clip for the Chiefs to be efficient? So, Kyle, to kick this one your way, who do you have coming out of this quarterback duel of Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship? Kev, I'm going to go with your guy. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. I just have more faith that Joe Burrow is going to be able to expose this KC defense more than Patrick's going to be able to expose this Bengals defense. And obviously, the, the biggest caveat that comes with this game is the status of Patrick Mahomes. He's dealing with that high ankle sprain. Fortunately for the Chiefs, that he, Fortunately for the Chiefs, he is practicing this week. We don't know how effective he's going to be probably until game time, but he is trending in the right direction for this game. So hopefully he's going to be effective for whatever capacity that the Chiefs have him going into this weekend. But I think they're going to have their work cut out against them when they go up against this Cincinnati defense. This Cincinnati defense is no joke. They held Josh Allen and that high-flying Bills offense to 10 points last week. Mind you, the Bengals went on the road and were playing in a snowstorm and looked like a team that had been there and done that. They essentially dominated that game from beginning to end, and they never gave the Bills a chance to get back into that game. And now you have a scenario where the Bengals are going up against the Chiefs again. These two teams already played against each other once in the regular season. 
in one of the most competitive games that we saw from this regular season. And the Bengals made the plays that needed to be made, especially at the end of the game. Joe Burrow came up with a crucial third down conversion that iced the game for the Bengals to seal it in favor of Cincinnati. And it was really just, I wouldn't say it was the kickstart to the second half of the season, the second half season success that we saw from the Bengals as a whole, but it was really just another notch in his belt before we ended up transitioning into the playoffs. And I think when it comes to this game specifically, I think Joe's going to be able to step up to that plate and make the plays that he did similar in the regular season game that we saw between these two teams. Joe, whenever he's in this situation, he's been able to rise to the occasion and really prove the doubters wrong. A lot of people last year had the Chiefs walking into the Super Bowl last year. Joe Burrow and that Cincinnati defense, they proved them otherwise and found themselves in a situation where they got to Super Bowl 56. This one's a little bit different because I think a lot of people are probably favoring the Bengals because of the injury that Patrick sustained last week against the Jacks. Even though that Patrick's dealing with this ankle injury, I still believe that Patrick's going to be effective. Granted, he's not going to be as mobile as he typically is, but I think he's still going to be able to get points on the board for Casey to keep this game competitive. But I think at the end of the day, when the money's on the line, I think Joe Burrow is going to be able to expose that Casey defense when Casey needs to stop. That Casey defense is not going to be able to get it. And I think that Joe could lead one of those game-winning type drives that seals it for the Bengals to advance to back-to-back Super Bowls. This is one of those games where I think it's going to be back and forth. I think both teams are going to have some high points and some teams and both those teams might have low points. I think the Chiefs are going to have more of those low points in the game compared to Cincinnati. And I think Cincinnati is going to edge out KC to advance to Super Bowl 57. It's going to be a very competitive game nonetheless. I do think that it's going to be relatively high scoring. I'm not going to say this is going to be a shootout like 38-34 where, you know, no defense can stop the opposing offense. I do believe that it's going to probably be somewhere in the mid to high 20s for both teams. But if I had to pick, I'm going with the Bengals. I think they're going to win this game by the score of 27-24. to I think it's going to be the same score that we saw in the regular season when these two teams went at it. And I do believe that Joe Burrow, is going to outduel Patrick Mahomes to get the Bengals to back-to-back Super Bowls where they could potentially face either the 49ers or the Eagles in Super Bowl 57. But as far as I see it, I got the Bengals going back to back going back to back-to-back Super Bowls, and that's just how I see it. I mean, I obviously I'm going with the Bengals as well. I'm I'm, I'm never picking against Joe again. Uh I apologize for betraying the fandom for the club that I lead. Uh it's completely my fault. I should have never done that. But I'm going to be bold and say, even if Pat was healthy, I think Joe can do it. I mean, we're talking about the calmest, most relaxed individual that I've ever seen play this game. I mean, he goes up to the podium. He goes under the center. He sits in the shotgun. No matter what level of his NFL career, he's not phased. Nothing bothers him. The narratives don't bother him. Injuries. I mean, the guy tore his ACL in his rookie year, comes back and goes to the Super Bowl, and has now put his team in a position to go to another one. So, I mean, like I think Joe has overcome enough adversity in his career to say, nothing's really going to bother me. Crappy offensive line last year. The offensive line played better last week, but in terms of consistency, this offensive line has been pretty crap, or pretty ass for the majority of his early career. Then you go and you have the three-headed monster at the wide receiver position that I do not think Kansas City is going to be able to guard. Jamar Chase is a nightmare. T. Higgins is a big target. Tyler Boyd is incredible on third down. Hayden Hurst has been coming out. Joe Mixon had the best game he's had in weeks 
I mean, I think that's I think the net the uh, the statistic was that was Joe Mixon's second touchdown in the last like nine weeks or something like that. And I know he missed a significant amount of times with a concussion as well. But just to put emphasis. Cincinnati made sure they focused on getting Joe the ball, Mixon. I keep saying Joe, forgetting that the quarterback is also named Joe. It's going to mess me up moving forward in my points. Um, Joe Mixon is a dynamic playmaker. He can catch out of the backfield. He can make people miss, and he can run you over. He's a very, very diverse running back. Now, when you take Joe Mixon and put him into a system where the offensive line is actually capable and moving the line of scrimmage, that's going to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes. That's going to create play action for Joe Burrow. That's going to give the Cincinnati defense a rest in terms of opportunities to improve and kind of get back on the field after long periods of time. Now, we're talking about the Kansas City side. Patrick Mahomes is not 100%. It doesn't matter if he plays. It doesn't matter if he shot up with the quarter zone or he makes significant progress as the week progresses. It, he is not going to be able to do the things that he normally does. If he has to rotate any form of outside of the pocket, whether that is pressure from the inside having to rotate right, pressure from the inside or the outside having to rotate left, he is going to be in pain. Heaven forbid he gets rolled up on, he gets hit. That is going to play a part. And Cincinnati's pass rush has been very, very, very consistent this playoff series or this playoff run as well as in the regular season. I believe that the Bengals have enough momentum confidence and talent to go and push past unfortunately what is what happens to just be an injured Patrick Mahomes but again even if the narrative wasn't there even if it was Patrick Mahomes fully healthy I think Cincinnati's got Kansas City's number they've beaten him three times Joe is the only quarterback to have a positive record of this magnitude against Patrick Mahomes maybe other than Tom Brady but I'm thinking just from a longevity standpoint in terms of what is going to happen in this game it is going to get worse for Pat as the game progresses. And if the offensive line of the Chiefs does not hold up, it is going to be a very, very, very long day. I don't think this is necessarily going to be close. I think Pat is going to feel the pressure early on. This could easily turn into a 10 to 14 point blowout, in my professional opinion, because I think that Pat is going to make some mistakes and have to compensate. And if they lean on the running attack of the Kansas City Chiefs, that takes away from what Patrick normally does. That doesn't give him the opportunity, the freedom to be as flexible as he is in the open field. Granted, it may create some play action, but again, that pass rush is going to come. They know that Pat's hurt, and I think Cincinnati smells blood in the water. Cincinnati will be facing the Philadelphia Eagles in two weeks for Super Bowl 57, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just with Pat's lingering injury issue, obviously, when you have a high ankle sprain, depending on the severity of it, that could take you know six to eight weeks, and in some cases, probably closer to three months. So the fact that he's already practicing and he's looking relatively comfortable compared to where he was on on Saturday when both of those teams with the Jags and the Chiefs went up against each other. That does lend me to believe that he's heading in the right direction. I think it just comes down to how effective is he, is he going to be because he's not going to be 100%. I think more than likely he's probably going to be somewhere around 80 to 85%. And, and I think at this point, I think the Bengals, like you said, I think they smell blood in the water. I think they're going to force him into some situations where he he may have to force himself to make those plays on his feet, but I just don't think he's going to have the speed to be able to outrun some of those defenders. And unfortunately for KC, I just, I don't see them getting past this Bengals defense with how they've been playing of late 10 points against the Bills last week. That's it. That's all they gave up. And when you could slow down a high-flying offense like that in the elements, albeit, I think that 
I think that Cincinnati's defense, I think they're definitely gaining some momentum going into this game. And I think it's going to carry them not only into this game, but potentially the Super Bowl as well. So I'm with you 100% on the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, outside of the playoffs, there are some teams that have some different narratives. Uh, unfortunately, these are some teams that fell short in the postseason. I talked about it. We are going to start a series of what we believe that some of these teams are going to need in order to improve for the 2023 season. And we're going to start with the first couple of teams that lost in this year's playoffs. And that is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Minnesota Vikings. So Kyle is going to take what he believes the Buccaneers need. I'm going to take what I believe the Minnesota Vikings need. And we're each going to give our respective opinions on the opposite side. But again, we just think that this is going to be a good way for us to kind of get an understanding as to what these NFL teams are going to need to do in order to make significant progress before the draft, addressing things in free agency, and so on and so forth. I mean, of course, for the first team we're going to talk about, they just cleaned house in their coaching staff, and Tom Brady might be leaving. So I feel like the Bucks may need a little bit more help from Jesus himself than just some free agents and some draft picks. But uh, I'll leave that to Kyle. So Kyle, I'm throwing the ball in your court. Tampa was 8-9. and nine. They won the AFC, excuse me, the NFC South. Tom Brady looked to be not exactly what we hoped him to be this year, but there were some other looming factors as to why they had the record that they did. So what do you think the Buccaneers need to do to improve for 2023? Well, there's a few things. If I had to list three, the first one is probably get a coaching staff because last week we saw the Buccaneers completely gut their entire offensive coaching staff. Kev, I think... All told, I think there were somewhere around 9 to 10 coaches that either were fired or retired. So the front office definitely had the perspective of this wasn't working. We need to completely gut the entire offensive coaching staff and start from scratch. I don't know if that's the best scenario that they could have worked themselves into because apparently Bruce Arians was not happy about that situation when all those firings took place. But nonetheless, they're going to have to rebuild their entire offensive coaching staff. And with Todd Bowles leading the way, I'm not so sure that he's going to be the guy to lead that charge to be able to fix that coaching staff effectively. So they could have went after Bill O'Brien, but he ended up deciding to go back to New England uh, to pair up with Bill Belichick to be their offensive coordinator. That could have been nice for the Bucs had they been able to bring Bill O'Brien back in and maybe get that old relationship with Tom and Bill back in there, but that's not going to happen. So they got a lot of work cut out to fix this offensive coaching staff, so it's not going to be easy. Uh, the second one, they have to bolster up their offensive line. There's no other way to say it. The offensive line, as far as I saw with the Bucks this year, they were utterly atrocious. They were able to not be the team that they were from an offensive line perspective that they were two years ago, or even last year. The Bucs had one of the best offenses the last two years that Brady had been there, and this year they took a precipitous drop-off, and it was simply because the offensive line couldn't protect Brady, and they couldn't open up run lanes. The Bucs had one of the worst rushing offenses in the NFL, if not the worst. They were averaging at one point somewhere around 60 to 65 yards a game in the run game. It just wasn't effective. Um, when you lose some Pro Bowl center, or when you lose some Pro Bowl offensive linemen that they did from not this past season, but the season before, you're going to have a drop-off. But I didn't think people were expecting it to be this bad. So going into this offseason, they definitely need to address their offensive line concerns. And then the last one, try to bring try to bring Brady back. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, when you look at Brady compared to some of the quarterbacks that they have at their disposal, I mean, it's a night and day difference. I mean, I think you have Blink Gabbert back there. 
I think Kyle Trask is their third string quarterback. And you look at those guys compared to Tom Brady. It's a night and day difference, like I already said. And I think if they're able to bring him back, I think it will somewhat stabilize them as a team. If they don't, then the Bucs are probably going to go in the full rebuild as far as I see it. And they may gut not just the offense. They may gut some portions of the team to try to bring in some sort of value potentially in return for those guys. So the Bucs have their work cut out for them this offseason as far as I see it. But if I had to pick three things in particular, first things first, get an offensive coaching staff, rebuild the offensive line, and try to get Brady back at all costs. If they're able to do those things, who knows? Maybe they could set themselves up for a playoff run next year. But if they don't, I think they're going to be in trouble going into next season. And it's just that simple. I mean, for me, when it comes to Tampa, I think that in my personal opinion, I think Tom is gone. I think with Byron Leftwich leaving, I think with the offensive coaching staff that was pretty much all let go, I think that fully indicates, in, from what I can understand, as a, a full rebuild of sorts. I know that Tom said he hasn't ruled out um, Tampa or the reports are saying that he hasn't ruled out Tampa, especially with his kids living in Florida with his ex-wife. But... I think that maybe that might lead into something different, but we'll get into the Tom Brady narrative a little bit later. In terms of what I believe that Tampa needs, they're going to need a quarterback. Regardless of what Tom does this year, it is, or should I say next season, they need a quarterback of the future. Blaine Gabbard is not the guy. Kyle Trask hasn't been given enough of an opportunity, so if he wants to be a backup, a third string, a practice squad, they need somebody that is going to be able to take the reins from Tom and take this team and continue to move forward as they move past the era of Tom Brady and their most recent Super Bowl. Second, I think that they need to build up this offensive line, specifically at the tackle position. Donovan Smith was rated the worst tackle in the NFL. What was it, the right tackle position, Kyle? He was, I believe, at the left tackle position. So, so even worse, the blind spot. Absolutely horrendous. I think he was one of the top offensive linemen to uh, have one of the worst, if not the highest rating in terms of holding penalties. So he was just getting beat week in and week out. You got to focus on the tackle position. Make sure you protect that blind side of whoever's under center next season. And then for me, it's got to be the running back room. Leonard Fournette did not pan out. I know that they have this other guy. I think it was Rashad White. You have to find somebody that is going to create room for you in that backfield, someone that's going to move the pile, someone that's going to extend plays, extend drives, move um, move the pile outside of the tackles, you know, get outside, be able to have that quickness. And I don't think Rashad White showed enough for me this season to say that he's going to be the definitive number one. And then Leonard Fournette came in a little bit overweight, had a little bit of an issue this year with uh, with play calling. I mean, he could not get it going in, in terms of, you know, averaging specific yards per carry. I just didn't think he was efficient at all, at least from what I had seen. And I know that the offensive line had struggled significantly, but overall, I mean, obviously at that point, the running back room has got to improve significantly. You have Mike Evans in the receiver room. You have Chris Godwin, you had Julio Jones, you have Russell Gage. Um, and then of course, you know, you have Kate Otten in the tight end room and, and so on and so forth. But overall, I really do believe that Tampa's got to revamp this entire offense. The coaching staff is pivotal. Yes. Tom Brady coming back, it could or could not be pivotal. I mean, we're talking about a 46-year-old quarterback that he would be uh, by the time next season is over, maybe even 47. I don't remember his exact age. I think that planning for the future in terms of having a quarterback that is younger, that is going to be leading this team moving forward, having an offensive line specifically focalizing on the tackle position, and then, of course, when you improve the running back room, that will make this offense that much better, and I think it'll flow a little bit more efficiently completely next season. Yeah, Kev, I'm with you 100%. I think the Bucks are literally on the verge of just a complete reset. And I think if, they, if they're if they not able to retain Tom, 
I think they should just go full rebuild at this point because I, I just don't see any viable pathway forward for them, even in the NFC South. I, I mean, look, the NFC South is, well, it was the worst division in the NFL this year. And even though the Bucks made it into the playoffs, I mean, they barely made it in and they were not a convincing team in any way, shape or form with Tom there. I think the only way that they'd be able to entice Tom to come back is if, is if they could rebuild the offensive line and they bring in a competent offensive coaching staff. But I, Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think there, there were already indications throughout the season that I think Brady might had his last, might've had his last year in Tampa because there was one video that I saw when the Bucks were playing the 49ers. Granted, it was a road game where Tom was trying to fire up the team and the team just wasn't having it. The team just wasn't focused. They're checked um, out. I think they had just kind of mailed it in. And I just don't think that they were going to commit themselves from an offensive perspective to just get into a situation where they were going to compete for a Super Bowl. Body language says a lot. And Hell I think... Yeah. I think Tom was was trying to rally the troops. I just don't think it was going to happen. And I think the writing's on the wall. I think those guys are pretty much done with Tom at this point. And I think if, if Tom were to come back, I think it's probably it's getting really close to a miracle for Tampa at this point because I just don't think it's trending in that direction. Kev, I think you already said something like we had seen a video surface of him looking at schools in Miami for his kids. So, you know, you could fire up the Miami Dolphins rumors with Tom potentially going there, even though they already have Tua there. But, yeah, as far as I see with the Bucs, the Bucs are in definite trouble uh, as we go farther along into this offseason. Obviously, we'll kind of monitor this situation as time goes on. But as of right now, I think things are looking relatively dire for them going into next year. It just doesn't look like they're going to be a formidable team as far as I see it. But speaking of other teams that we have to get to, we will focus on the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings were also one of the teams that were eliminated from playoffs uh, from the playoffs uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, they had a pretty embarrassing loss to the Giants in the wild card round uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, they had a 13-4 record, one of the best records in the NFL this year, and they had a very big disappointing end to their season. So... They'll definitely be looking to, I guess, just rebuild their team as a whole. But, I mean, as far as I see it, they, they got a long way to go to be a Super Bowl contending team. Obviously, this was not the uh, this was not the result they were looking from this past season. And uh, Kev, I'll, I'll just keep I'll keep this one to you straight up. So, going into this off season, what are some of the adjustments they that you think the Vikings need to do as a whole to be more competitive next year? So I'm going to address the first thing. Um, for those of you saying Kirk Cousins needs to go, I think you're absolutely ridiculously just lackluster in your knowledge of football. I mean, since he's been in Minnesota, the man has put up 4,000 yards a season except for 2019, in which his touchdown to interception ratio was still impeccable. And in that season, it was 26 to 6. I'm not saying that he's the quarterback for the next 10 years or that he's going to play until he's 45 like Tom Brady. But for those of you saying you got to let him go, you got to trade him, I think you're crazy. Minnesota's got a shit ton more problems than just Kirk Cousins. I think first and foremost, they need to build up the offensive line, specifically focalizing in the interior of that line. Both guards, maybe even the center position, Kirk Cousins was consistently getting pressure from both the A and the B gaps all season long, especially in the postseason. Yes, the Giants did not officially sack him in that game, but he was 
knocked around at least 11 to 12 times, and that was a repeat offense in multiple games. He was when they blew, got blown out by Dallas, when they were getting pressured by Philadelphia earlier on in the season, when they played against Green Bay in the second time. I mean, Minnesota just could not get anything going from a protection standpoint. And if you need any quarterback to survive, you need to have an offensive line. And that is 100% going to start on in the interior. Second, you got to have cornerback depth. There was a multitude of times where corners were just getting beat in a lot of games. Again, the Dallas game, they were just running up the score. Outside of Patrick Peterson, who is getting into the older portion of the latter half of his career, you are going to need somebody that is going to be locked down on the outside, someone that is going to be able to contain a number one, a number two receiver, or at least play to a competent football level. We've talked about this on multiple episodes and segments. Minnesota had the second worst defense in the NFL all year and the worst ranked playoff defense outside of Seattle. You don't have a 12 and 4 record or or a 13 and 4 record for no reason, right? And those four losses were four horrible losses. Most of them were blowouts by a multitude of scores. And then you go into the postseason and you let a six-seeded Giants team that just got embarrassed by Philadelphia go into your house and you get just demolished. I mean, I know it wasn't a, a blowout or anything like that, but you just looked lost on all sorts of the of the comp- on the defensive side. So it's definitely going to be, for me, like I said, interior offensive line, you're going to need cornerback depth, and you're going to need linebacker depth. I mean, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones were absolutely torching you in terms of rushing the football. Tony Pollard in the Dallas game killed you. Ezekiel Elliott in his diminished role was killing you. Um, obviously, Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts. Again, I'm, foc- I'm focusing on the losses because those are the, ga- the, the games that matter the most is when everybody has to focus on, well, what happened in the games that they struggled in or what happened in games that they didn't look electric in those are going to be key pieces you can technically throw in maybe like to combine with the linebacker spot as an edge rusher but overall i mean when you're talking about just coverage you're going to need linebackers that are going to be able to cover tackle make plays force turnovers i know that the 49ers have fred warner i know the colts have shaquille leonard i know that those linebackers don't exactly come so often but if you're able to find a linebacker in the draft that's able to tackle and wrap up somebody in free agency that's available to create and force turnovers lead that defense i think that that is going to change the dynamic and the culture of the Minnesota defensive side of the football. Like I said, interior, uh, offensive lineman, you got to go with the cornerback position and find some coverage areas. And then linebacker, you got to have somebody to lead this defense and make those big tackles and big plays. Yeah, Kev, I mean, for me, the way that I see it is I could pretty much boil it down to three things, and they're pretty much similar to what you outlined. Um, There's going to be two that kind of go hand in hand with each other. So I'll, I'll do the best to lay it out here. So first things first, um, I will go actually go on the defensive side of the ball. They just need to improve defensively as a whole. Kev, like you said, they were one of, if not one of the worst, they were pretty much in that category of like the worst defense of the NFL, despite the fact that they had a great record. And a lot of it was predicated on that Vikings offense to be able to produce enough points to cover up for the defense. So I think they have to kind of get, they just have to get reacquainted with some defenses they defenses that they had in the past. I mean, the Vikings the last couple of years from a defensive perspective, they just haven't been a good unit. And look, you know, maybe that means moving on for Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson is getting older in age, and I think at this point the best years of his NFL career are behind him. And and maybe they just try to bring in a better coaching staff for that defense. Maybe they they look to bring in different uh 
different cornerback coaches, maybe linebacker coaches as a whole, just because whatever they've been putting out there on the field from a defensive perspective, it just has not been working. And when you have an offense like the Vikings do have at their disposal, you got to have a better defense to go alongside that. And the fact that they got bounced out of the first round in the playoffs by a Giants team that was up and down the entire year, you just can't have that. So when you make Daniel Jones look like damn near like Tom Brady out there, that's a bad look from a defensive perspective. So they definitely need to step it up there. And then the next two kind of go hand in hand with each other. Kevin already alluded to it, obviously improved the offensive line. And the reason why is, is that, you know, not only does it provide better protection for Kirk Cousins, but it also gives Dalvin Cook better run lanes to work with. And even though the Dalvin Cook was still productive this season, you could definitely tell that the play calling was probably adjusted more to Kirk in this year, simply just because I don't think the coaching staff had supreme confidence in this offensive line to be able to open up run lanes for Dalvin effectively. Now, Dalvin is still a good running back as far as I see it. He's been one of the most productive running backs that we've seen in the NFL for pretty much the last three to four years. And I still believe that he has major upside for the next couple of years, barring some sort of injury. So, you know, maybe they try to bring in some different pieces this offseason to try to bolster uh, the, the guard position, maybe bring in some different tackles, because I know uh, the, the Vikings were definitely dealing with some injury issues at the tackle position this year. Maybe they look elsewhere, or maybe they just hope for better better injury luck going into next year. And then if I had to say something about the, my final point or my final adjustment for the Vikings going into next year is if they're able to fix the offensive line issues this offseason in free agency or from internally, I think the coaching staff needs to predicate more time to Dalvin being in the playbook or focus more of the play calling to Dalvin because Dalvin's one of the best running backs in the NFL. And I think in this year specifically, I think they did get a little bit pass heavy. And I think it's simply because when you have Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen to work with, I think there's going to be a huge tendency to give those guys opportunities to be able to make plays in the passing game. But I think there were times that they got a little bit too heavy they got too reliant on the passing game to make up uh, for the lack of defense that they had. And I think this year, or going into next season, I should say, that they should focus on trying to give Dalvin the ball more. But it's all predicated on making the offensive line better this offseason. If they can do that, I would probably expect more of an adjustment towards Dalvin running the ball effectively. So I think overall, if I were to boil it down to three simple points, definitely improve the defense in all faces as far as I can see it definitely improve the, uh, the play calling if the offensive line gets fixed and then we'll see what happens with whether or not that they could bolster the offensive line, but I'll pretty much just limit it to those, those three things. Both teams need significant help. And despite them both making the playoffs, as you can see, the offensive line is going to be probably the most important part for both of these teams. So protecting the quarterback, no matter who's under center for each team next season, is going to be critical in order to improving your next season results. So we're going to be doing this, like, like I said, at the beginning of the segment for every single NFL team. So don't fret. Don't worry about it. If we didn't get to your team, we're going to cover it. And then, of course, these are also going to be available via short form content on TikTok and stuff like that if you don't want to watch the long form. So, I mean, Kyle, before we move on to the NBA, did you have any closing remarks for anything NFL? No, I just hope you guys enjoyed the, uh, the championship games that take place this weekend. I know that Kevin and I are extremely excited about the matchups. 
and hopefully we just get some good competitive matchups at the end of the day. That's really the only thing I'm looking forward to. But um, Kev, with that said, we're going to transition into our NBA segments. Uh, the first one will be uh, focused on Damian Lillard. Um, when it comes to the Blazers this year, they've been relatively subpar. And it's kind of put into question whether or not the Dame should stick around and I guess work through the issues that the Blazers have been having with just having relatively subpar seasons of late. Um, we were looking at a report earlier where the Blazers are committed to sticking with Damian Lillard as the team from a front office perspective tries to rebuild the team as a whole to make it a, not even a championship contending team, but a playoff contending team uh, just because the Blazers have been, like I said, relatively subpar this season. And it kind of extends a little bit farther back when you look at recent history. So Kev, to kick this one to you, what do you think Dame should do in regards to his status as a Portland Trailblazer as the team tries to build a playoff contending team around him? I mean, I think I, I know he's not necessarily sitting there and complaining and throwing a fit like other superstars have after they sign Supermax contracts. But I mean, this is what he has to deal with. I mean, he made this bet. He's got to lay in it. This roster is not even bad when you think about how good some of these younger players are. I mean, Anthony Simons just signed an extension and he's one of the more up and coming competitive guards. Jeremy Grant is a proven forward in this league that can give you 15 and 10. I mean, obviously, you have Yersif Nurkic that can give you 10 and 15 rebounds. Gary Payton's one of the better defenders. Josh Hart's a hustler. There are no scrubs on this team. Like, you have competitors. But, of course, the biggest part about this is the Western Conference is stacked. And with this roster, as it's currently assimilated, it probably will not make a competitive postseason run. Damian Lillard is one of the few people that you can list as a perennial all-star slash superstar. He can give you 30 a night if he needs to. He can pass the ball. He can rebound efficiently, even at his size. And I think that now that he's getting into that upper echelon, now that he's past 30, I think for me personally, if he wants to compete for a championship, I'm not saying to dis disrespect the Blazers, say that they suck, or request a trade and throw a tantrum, you know, quit on them or anything like that. But if you want to win, you have to leave. The, the Portland front office is 100% to blame. They have not been able to attract any free agents. They haven't been able to bring in anybody that's going to assist Dame and take that pressure off of him for being the primary scorer. Yes, Anthony Simons was a diamond in the rough that they happened to get lucky on that is developing very well. Yes, they acquired Jeremy Grant to help rebound and play defense and, of course, assist in scoring as a third, if not fourth option. But Let's be honest, this league has become pairs of superstars, pairs of all-stars, and that's just not what the Blazers have right now. Unfortunately, this falls on the shoulders of Damian Lillard, and because he has chosen to remain loyal, this is what he has to deal with. Unless he wakes up and realizes if he wants to win a chip, he's got to go. This is just going to be the continued story for his career, and it's sad because I enjoy watching Damian Lillard very much so, and I would really like him to play on a better team just so that he can host up a trophy one day or hoist up a trophy one day. But again, from a loyalty perspective, and he's not complaining and bitching about it, I got to give him his flowers, man. He's trying his hardest, but the front office has got to do a better job in helping him out. Yeah, I mean, from a loyalty perspective, I cannot knock Dame in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he's going to try to make it work with Portland for the foreseeable future. And albeit, the Blazers are just not that good this year. They're 12th in the Western Conference. The crazy thing, though, is, is that they're only like a game, game and a half out from a play-in tournament situation. So it's not like the end-all, be-all, like this is just like a massive failure that they can't make the playoffs. They have plenty of time 
uh, to be able to make up some ground to potentially get into a playing tournament situation. But like you said, Kev, with the Western Conference being so stacked, and I would imagine some of those teams that are in those edge uh, spots right now, they're probably going to get better as the season goes on. And that could leave a scenario where Portland just kind of gets left in the dust, no matter if Dame's putting out 30, 35 points a game. If you're not winning games, you're just not going to be in a playoff situation regardless. I think for Dame for the foreseeable future, I think he's going to do the best that he can to try to keep that team competitive. But the front office, this is where I'm really putting most of the emphasis here, is that the front office has to make a better pitch to potential trade suitors, potential free agents in upcoming off-seasons to be able to come to Portland. And granted, like Kev had already alluded to, Portland has a decent roster to work with. It's just, they're just not getting consistency from this group as a unit. I mean, when it comes to Dame, I know what I'm going to get from him. Dame is going to go out there and probably drop somewhere between 25 to 30 points consistently. But outside of that, you're going to get performances that are spotty. And you could even look at some of their games this year where they may score 130 to 135, sometimes even 140 points. Their offense is capable of that. And there are times where they can't crack 100. And typically when they go up against better competition, they fall short. And they've been falling consistently short this year. That's why they have a sub-500 record. So, you know, when it comes to Dame, I'm not going to question his effort. And the fact that he's sticking through this process with Portland, I do think that is commendable. But even after a certain point, if the Trailblazers are going on this stretch for the next couple of years where they just can't compete in the Western Conference, hell, they can't even compete for a playing tournament situation, I think patience is only going to go so far with him. I think he may go another two years or so, and then maybe he's like, you know what? We tried it here. I gave 10 plus years to this organization. We just weren't able to make it work. And then maybe he looks for greener pastures somewhere else. I don't think he's at that point yet. There would have to be mediocrity going for, I think, another year or two before he would reach that point. But as of right now, I think he's going to do the best that he can to be able to work through it. And if the front office delivers to bring a more championship, not even championship, I should say playoff contending roster to the forefront, then maybe it'll all be worth it in the end. But if they fail in that regard and they're not able to bring in anybody, then I think Dame could potentially be on the way out in the next two years or so. So, yeah, I, that's how I kind of see it. I think Dame is going to stick with it right now. But if this lingers for the next couple of years, I think he's out. And honestly, I think it's as simple as that. I want him to leave. Again, I am acknowledging, like, our favorite players, Kobe and, and, and Dirk, you know, loyalty gets you a lot, right? It, it gets you a lot of respect. But it, it just doesn't get you chips anymore. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago where the last couple of championships have been from pairs of superstars. The last solo championship has, what, been 12, been 13 years? It's been a long time. It's so, I mean, time. if Dame is going to try to carry that torch, he's going to have to accept, yo, I got to average basically 40 a game to do something meaningful here. And until he accepts that, makes that realization, or just overall says, you know what? I want some hardware. I got to get out of here. This is going to be the consistent reoccurring situation year in and year out for Dame's career. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to look up Damien's age right now because I don't know it off the top of my head. It's my so, birthday twin, so I know that he is 100% what? Can we, can, if I'm 90. He's 32. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, he's only a, like three, four years older than me because I turned 29 this year. Holy yeah, shit. I, it's like I said. 
I give I give him maybe two years tops. If the Blazers don't figure it out by then, I think he's going to be like, look, I'm now getting to the point where I'm on the back half of my career. He's already on the back half of his career at this point. And I think that desire to go out and win a championship, I think it's just going to take over. And if it's not going to be attainable in Portland, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, I think he may force his way out of there. But it's not going to be because I'm not loyal to Portland. 100%. He gave it his everything. It's going to be just the front office wasn't able to deliver. I stuck with it as far as I could. And we're just going to have to look somewhere else. But I don't think we're at that point yet with him. I think the loyalty is still a main force for him at this point. And until that changes, which I don't believe it's going to be this year, and I don't believe it's going to be next year, just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. It's as simple as that. Big time. But obviously... um, Got one more topic to go up. No, I know I'm. I, it's Kyle Kuzma. I'm sitting there like I know his name's Kyle, but your name's Kyle. I just had the name Kyle in my head. I'm like, are we gonna talk about my partner? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm Dude, not an NBA. I'm not an NBA player. I'm not you know six five, six six, and you know, posterize people. Maybe if it was like dunk hoop, if the rim was at like nine feet, maybe. But if we're lucky not, in our heyday, yeah. Now I'm not so sure. But uh, but with that said. Uh, we will transition into our last segment. It is going to be focused around Kyle Kuzma of the Washington Warriors. Uh, wow. I said the Washington Warriors, my guy. Jesus Christ. That would have been kind of cool. That's a cool name, Washington Warriors. It's not a bad team name. Um, I don't think so. We're going to go over the uh, the, dyna- the dynamic between Kyle Kuzma and the Washington Wizards. Uh, we've had some developments take place in Washington over the last couple of days. We had Roy Hachimura be traded from the Wizards to the Lakers. And now this, this kind of puts a spotlight on Kyle Kuzma. And we don't really know where we're going to go with Kuz at this point. Could he potentially be traded this off, uh, not this offseason, this upcoming trade deadline? There have already been rumors circulating about teams inquiring about him. Or do we look at a scenario where the Washington Wizards could potentially sign him to a long-term extension, which has not been ruled out either. Kuzma is actually open to the idea of Resigning with the Wizards long-term, and Washington has kind of indicated the same thing. But at the same time, you can never rule out the trade rumors as well as they have been circulating around him for the last couple of days. I, I even take that back. The last couple of weeks, he's uh, he's been mentioned in those uh, for a decent amount of time as far as I see it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, what do you think that the Washington Wizards should do with Kyle Kuzma in the next couple of weeks? Should they sign him to a long-term deal or find a trade suitor to potentially trade him? I mean, to be completely honest, we know that Kyle Kuzma is no scrub, right? He's gotten better almost every year of his career. He's averaging a career high, 22 points a game this season, and he's playing at a high caliber level. I mean, he had 30 points against the Mavs last night, and I think he had the game-winning free throw against us last night to put them up over the hump at 21-26. and 26. But in terms of the future of this team, you already have Bradley Beal on the supermax of supermax contracts, and he's locked into Washington for the remainder of his career. But outside of Kyle Kuzma, I mean, who do you really have on this team? Kristaps Porzingis, always injured. He can give you 20 and 10 on a good night, maybe even 30, depending on if he's hitting from outside. But he has shown flashes this season that he can carry this team as well when uh, when Bradley Beal's not around. But I mean, I'm just going down this roster. Johnny Davis, Will Barton, Denya Avita. I mean, Kendrick Nunn just got there. Vernon Carey, the former Duke star that obviously flopped in the NBA. Isaiah Todd. Monte Morris has shown some flashes. 
Gafford, Daniel Gafford, Anthony Gill. I mean, the point of what I'm getting at is this is not exactly a team that is impressive enough to say, you know what, we're going to start keeping key pieces and try to attract free agents to come and play. Bradley Beal is the team right now. Bradley Beal is the superstar. He is the guy that you attract and say, hey, we have Bradley. Come play with us. You don't, you don't pay Kyle Kuzma and say, yeah, we have Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. Like that, nobody gives a shit about Kuz, no disrespect, but he's not at that level where he's going to attract a free agent. And for you to commit to him long term when he is, like I said, playing at a career high type of level, I would leverage him in a big package deal and try to acquire another piece to play alongside Bradley as opposed to giving Kuz, uh, I said Kuz, I don't know why I said that. Um, trying to give Kuza a three, four, five-year maximum contract or just extension in general, uh, it, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Washington has had enough problems over the course of the last few years in trading away John Wall, getting Russell Westbrook, trading Russell Westbrook after Russell and Bradley went on an incredible playoff run, or should I say an incredible regular season run to get themselves into the playoffs. And then you're sitting there and you just have Bradley Beal now. You go and you trade for Chris Stapps Porzingis last year after trading away Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. But Porzingis has an injury history. You're paying him $33, $34 million a season. Is he the number two to Bradley's number one? I I don't know. I really don't understand what Washington is really looking for, um, what they're really focusing on in terms of free agents or the future of the team, should I say. I I think they need to capitalize, package coups with a couple of other pieces, and go and get yourself a number two. Washington is obviously only five games under 500. They still have a whole lot of the season left to go. They can make a push for a playoff spot, if not a play-in tournament spot at least. And I don't think that giving coups an extension should be their first priority right now. I think it really depends on what sort of trade package they can get in return for Kuzma. And I will say... You know, when it comes to Kuzma in this year specifically, like you said, he's having a pretty solid year. I think in this year particularly, he's averaging a career high in points. It's around 22 points a game. 22, 45% field goal percentage, 33 from the three, seven rebounds, four assists. He's having a really good year. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I think teams, they may have a little bit of awareness that he's having a good year, but to the point where they would be, trying to give up a legitimate piece in return for him. I'm not so sure about that. And that's really the point that I, I want to focus on because I actually believe that it is probably more likely that Washington could potentially sign him to a long-term deal and be that number two alongside Bradley Beal than trading for him. And I think for me, it's just that I have this sense that Washington is not going to get a definitive number two to go alongside Bradley Beal in a trade with Kuzma. Now, like I said, I think Kuzma's having a great year, but it's like you, you have to look at the trade packages that they'd be getting in return for him. I mean, if you're getting a guy that's averaging 22 points, I mean, what is that going to get you? I mean, I don't really know off the top of my head uh, really any sort of teams that'd be willing to make a trade for Kuzma at this point, albeit despite the fact that he's having a good year this year. It's just, you know, Kuzma's always been involved in these trade rumors basically since he left L.A., And I will say that despite all those trade rumors, he's going out there and playing at a high level. But I I think one thing that I have to focus on is the Wizards already traded Hachimura. And I think it was because Hachimura and the Wizards, they just couldn't get to a point where they could agree to a long-term deal now that his, his rookie deal is basically coming to an end. And I think when it comes to Kyle Kuzma, I think because Hachimura is gone since they traded him, 
I think the Wizards are going to probably make it a higher priority to get him signed to a long-term deal now that Hachimura is out of the way. And I think with Kuz being open to the idea of it, there's been reports saying that he's open to the idea of sticking with the Wizards for the next couple of years. I think the Wizards couldn't go out there and offer him a pretty decent contract that could give him that long-term extension that he's looking for. And I will say, even if he were traded to whoever, there's no guarantee that that team would be willing to give him a long-term extension. And it could be a scenario where he just moves around from team to team. And maybe that's not something that he's looking for. Maybe he is looking for that long-term deal. And maybe Washington right now would be the only team willing to give him that. So it's very interesting with Kyle Kuzma because I think he's a relatively good player, but he's always somebody involved in trade rumors. And if he's not traded in this upcoming trade deadline, I think more than likely, I think Washington will pave the way. And I think Kuzma's representation will pave the way as well to try to get some sort of long-term deal worked out where he could stay with Washington for potentially the next four to five years to go alongside Bradley Beal. And we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. But if I had to guess for me personally, I think Washington is going to go the long-term route with him instead of trading him. The only way he gets traded is that they have to get a massive trade deal back in return for him. And I just don't think that Kyle Kuzma is up to that status where they could pull a legitimate number two to go alongside Bradley. That's just how I see it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's funny because Kyle Kuzma had said, you know, like I'm so used to my name being in the rumor mill for trades my entire career, the five out of his six years, he's consistently been like always in the conversation for being traded as a, as a piece. And I think that, you know, you made a good point, right? What are you going to package him with? What are you going to do? I think realistically, if you were to package him with Barton, maybe even Monte Morris, maybe a couple picks, you can go out and get somebody meaningful. Do I know who? No, but I mean, Kyle's not a scrub. He's not giving you five points. 22 is solid. He's shooting efficiently. He can defend. He can rebound. So if he is the centerpiece because he's young for a trade at 27 years old, around with a couple of other good role players and some draft capital. I think that's a pretty appealing draft, uh, excuse me, trade package, again, depending on who you would haul in to go with Bradley. But you're not going to get Bradley a big, you have KP. You're not going to get Bradley another shooting guard or a small forward because obviously you just, like Bradley plays the two and the three. I think what you would need to do, you got to go get a one. We just talked about him. I know it doesn't make sense, but realistically, Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal with Chris Dapps Porzingis is a solid three-headed contended, I guess, monster contender in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's even feasible. I'm just saying logically in my head, right? If you go and acquire Dame, because I only bring it up because we were just talking about it, you have a, a, a an incredible offensive backcourt of the likes of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson type because they can both give you 30. In an, in, in an instant, you blink and Bradley's got 30 and Bradley can defend and you blink and Dame's got 30 as well. I just think that if you were to put the right pieces together, Washington has some solid role players and some draft picks. I think they really could go out there and they could acquire somebody. Maybe not Dame. Again, it was just an example that came into my head, but they can get somebody. They, they'd have to mortgage a lot of their draft capital though to bring in somebody like Dame. And I don't think Portland is going to be in that situation where. No, I agree. If we're going to trade Dame, we're only getting Kyle Kuzma back in return. No, yeah, you know? no, I agree. Like I said, it was just because we talked about him that I yeah. was like, somebody in that caliber, maybe, but I don't I, know. I, I guarantee you, if Portland were to entertain any sort of trade offers for Dame, which I don't think they are at this current moment in time. They'd be asking for Bradley. 
it, they yeah definitely a Dame and probably and not a Dame but uh, Bradley Beal and Kuzma would have to be involved in that trade. Yeah, more than likely, they, 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 I'm, it'd be a pretty penny uh, to to make that trade happen. I just yeah, I I don't see balling. Oh, I mean, it's definitely you know definitely good thought experiment. It's just. I, I think it comes down to, you know, whether or not that Kuz is going to get traded. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I think Washington sees some upside with him because I, I look at the games that he's been playing in. You know, obviously the point totals is one thing. But Kev, he's getting burned out there. He's putting mm-hmm. out 35 to 38 minutes a night, sometimes even 40 minutes a night. And, you know, in, in Bradley's absence, he was dealing with a hamstring I- issue for the last week or so. You know, Kyle Kuzma has stepped up pretty admirably. And I, I think the Wizards could take notice of that. They could take notice of it in trade negotiations as well. I'm, I don't want to rule that out entirely. But maybe they see somebody in him that could lead them to a better place in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that they're going to compete for a finals or anything like that. But, you know, maybe they see a potential where they sign up to maybe like a four-year deal, maybe some around like 20, 25 million a year. I think at this point that that's a... That's a reasonable expectation in contract negotiations with somebody like Kyle Kuzma with what he's been averaging this year. And I think he could play up to that contract. So I, they're not going to shell out fucking $35, $40 million for him. They're not going to do that. But I think they'd be willing to probably get him somewhere around maybe an 80 to $100 million contract for about four to five years. It, cut, it would kind of depend on the contract length. But, you know, I think that that could be feasible for Washington. But it just depends on what they could get back in a trade package. If the trade package outweighs what they could get in value for him for a long-term contract, then maybe you got to pull the trigger on that. I This, to me, it, I'm leaning more heavily to to him getting a contract extension with Washington, but I can't rule out the possibility of him getting traded. And especially with Next. him being noticed in trade negotiations basically his entire career, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that pretty much... Wraps it up for us, bud. Got yeah, man. Nothing, nothing, left, nothing left to talk about. No, man, not at all. We were able to cover, obviously, our NBA content, uh, NFL content. Obviously, we kind of gave you guys a little bit of a sneak peek as to what's coming in terms of short form and on social media. So just kind of keep your eyes out. We're going to make sure that we get everything uploaded as fast as possible. Kyle is a one-man army, so be patient with us. We are going to make sure that everything is flowing nice and smooth. But, I mean, outside of that, we're going to actually be done before midnight, before 1 in the morning. It is a miracle. Like I said at the beginning, we are actually going to get a full night's sleep tonight. And, uh, you know, outside of that, we're probably going to be recording again on Sunday after the, uh, after the championship games. And you guys will hear fresh from us on Monday morning what we think about those games and, of course, who's going to go to the Super Bowl. So, outside of that, guys, we really appreciate the support. I mean, social media has been going crazy lately. I mean, TikTok, we had a, a couple videos blow up. Uh, Instagram today, we had a video blow up. So, I mean, again, just consistency is key. We see how we have to kind of do these things nowadays. We're getting an understanding as to what we need to do to really have success. And the success wouldn't be here without you guys supporting us day in and day out. So, again, we just want to show our gratitude. And, uh, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be here all week, obviously, as they say in show business. Yeah. Like Kev said, just appreciate the support from wherever it's coming from, the social media platforms, the audio platforms, or YouTube. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support. Like Kev said, definitely be on the lookout uh, for a new episode dropping on Monday where we'll cover all of the championship games in the NFL and then really any so- sort of pop-up NBA content that we can think of. Kev, I also think that we, at some point, we probably need to dive a little bit into baseball since baseball's coming up pretty soon and probably some NHL topics since in the NHL, we're about halfway through the season. So 
I think that's something that we definitely had to keep in mind uh, as the NFL season comes dwindling to an end. Absolutely. But with that said, you guys, uh, thank you guys for tuning in like you have, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.